Thank you for visiting Crossland Community Church. We are located in Terre Haute, Indiana. For more information, please visit us online at cocchurch.com. Let's listen to one of our Sunday morning messages. We've been talking lately about the idea that, that culture pushes us to the extreme. Culture wants to take us to a place that, that sometimes we don't want to go, but because we get caught up in our culture, we look up and we have arrived at a place that we never really thought we would be. You know, we, we, we're talking about margin, this idea that, that at the end of the month you've got money left over, that at the end of the day you've got some time left over where you can breathe a little bit and, and you, can, you can enjoy your kids, you can enjoy your wife, you can you know, sit down and enjoy a little peace and quiet, a chance to read or a chance to, to think maybe, uh, which is something that's so hard anymore. You, there's so many competing things for your mind that it's, it's hard sometimes to block it all out. I was complaining one time to a a friend of mine and, and said, you know, I've got so many things that run through my mind at the same time. And he said, that's called cognitive dissonance. And you've got a lot of that, um, especially in our culture. There's all that stuff happening. Everything competes for your attention. You know, and you, you have all this stress and you, you, margin is being able to experience stress and not feel stressed out. You're going to experience stress. You're, as you go through life, you will have stress. The question is, does the stress push you to a point that you throw your hands in the air and say, I can't do this anymore. I can't take it anymore. You know, that you, you break down in, in some way and you say, you know, something's going to have to give. Uh, to have margin um, means that you can experience, it. maybe in, in your marriage, to have a cer- experience a certain level of stress and know that your marriage is not stressed beyond the breaking point. That's what you want. That's what, that's what you're striving for. Financially, you want the kind of margin in your life that you can experience a stress. You can experience you know, the transmission going out on your car. You can experience a, a, you know, a leaky roof and having to fix that and say, well, that's, you know, we didn't expect that, but we've got a little uh, margin here and we can cover that. It's not a big deal. It's not the end of the day. It's not the, last, you know, the, the end of the world. It's not a big problem. Everybody has... Uh, a certain level of margin or lack thereof. Today we're going to talk about, in the past we've talked about time margin, we've talked about financial margin. Today I want to talk about moral margin, moral margin, in particular as it relates to sexuality. So, and if there's any little kids in the room, I think we're going to be okay. I don't think we're going to cross any major boundaries today. I'm going to drop that word a couple of times, but but um, that's where we're going today, trying to figure out how we can have margin morally, how we can protect ourselves and, and, uh, and, and look ahead a little bit. Um, there are limits that are recognized. There are limits that are sometimes imposed on us. Um, sometimes the limits are the way we were raised. You know, certain things you'd say, well, we don't go there because I was raised, you just don't, you don't go to a place like that. Um, I, I was... It's, you know, it's interesting how you, you get raised today in this culture. Tattoos are everywhere. But I remember when I was growing up, and I don't know how many of you will feel this way, but, but when I was growing up, if you saw a tattoo, it was like, oh, that's a sinner. That's a bad guy right there. Well, now I, I see a tattoo. I don't think that. I don't think that guy's a sinner. But growing up, that's the first thing I thought. If I, I, I thought one of two things. I thought he's either been in prison or he's been in the service. And, and he, he's, you know, I don't want to mess with him because he'll, he's, take me to a place I don't want to go. Well, I don't think that today. I mean, you better not think that today because they're everywhere, right? But as you grew up, there are certain things that you saw or that you experienced and you said, or, or that you were taught, you just don't go there. You just don't do that. You don't, you, you don't go to those places. Um, some have spiritual limits. 
morally. I mean, some of you have, there's, a, there's certain things that you, because of your spiritual walk, you say, I don't do that. I'm not going to think that. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to look at that. I'm just not going to do it. Then there are legal limits. There are certain things that are, are against the law. I mean, you can do them, but you'll end up in prison if you do them. Um, there's just certain things that the government has said, hey, we're not going to tolerate that. We're not going to allow that to happen. And, and so therefore, everybody has a limit when it comes to morality. The question that we have to ask ourselves is this, will we adopt the cultural limit, which usually will get us in trouble, or will we step back off of the cultural limit to a place that God calls us to, back here somewhere, far away from the edge, where God says, hey, I want you at a safe distance. I want you out of harm's way. If you get too close to the edge, there is a chance you could fall off the edge. And, and when that happens, and you've all seen, we've all seen, we're adults in the room, we've all seen people who got too close to the edge, they got too close morally, they got too close financially, and they tipped over the edge, and then bad things started to happen to them. God says, look, I want you way back here at a safe distance where you don't have to worry about it, and if you make a little mistake or if you need a little extra step or two, you've got it, and you're not going to go over the edge. So here's what we need to understand this morning as we begin our discussion. Everybody has a limit. And there's everybody, everybody has a place that they could eventually get to where they would say, you know what, that just should not be allowed. You know, I mean, we've all pushed to the edge. I mean, you take the most liberal person and you push them to the, to the edge on this moral issue, you eventually will get them to a place, hopefully, I mean, I would imagine, I can't imagine somebody saying, well, you know, everything's allowed. No, we, I think we'd get everybody to a place where they would say, no, even that is not allowed. There's a limit for everybody and everything. Now, what makes this message so confusing and, and what makes this message really so necessary is that our culture constantly sends us two messages. On the one hand, culture pushes us to the edge, and culture pushes us to a place where it says, hey, you know, explore that. Go find out what that's about. Figure out where you fit into all that. And then on the other hand, uh, culture will come back, and it'll also tell us that there are certain lines that if you cross morally, we're going to make you pay for that. Culturally, if you cross certain lines, uh, there's a consequence, there's a penalty that we don't always want to pay. Go as far as you can, but if you go too far, you're going to get sued. Go as far as you can, but if you go too far, you're going to lose your job. Go as far as you can, but if you go too far, we'll put you in prison for doing that. We're constantly, this culture baits us into this place where we explore and we, we look and we examine and we, we, want, you know, we touch. And, and, and then when we cross a line, culture is there to say, hey, you shouldn't have done that. And then there's a penalty for it. Uh, on the one hand, culture pushes us to the very edge. And then on the other, it chastises us when we make a mistake. Go as far as you can, but don't get pregnant. Go as far as you can, but don't break the law. Go as far as you can, but don't mistreat her. Go as far as you can, but don't get addicted. And it's the culture, it's the trend, that's the tension that we all live with morally. I mean, it's, it's, it, we wake up every morning, and there's constantly some way, something that we're bombarded to, to explore, to push, to go out, to look at this, to experience this, and don't rob yourself of this opportunity. Don't, don't rob yourself of this chance to, to feel this pleasure, or don't rob yourself to indulge yourself in this way. The culture is constantly pushing us and baiting us in that direction. And then to make matters worse, all of us are wired in such a way that we want to know where the limit is. Now, if you think I'm kidding about that, I would just invite you to go onto the interstate and let you drive. 
Because when you go onto the interstate, here's what you're going to do. You're going to ramp your car up to speed. And when you get up to speed, you're going to look around and you're going to see what everybody else is doing. And if all the cars are whipping by you, guess what you're going to do? You're going to speed up. You're going you're gonna to bump your cruise control just a couple of things until you get to a, a limit. You'll go beyond the limit. Chances are good. Let me just, by show of hand, I'm just going to call you out right now. And I'm going to tell you that I was on the interstate last night and I did this, okay? How many of you, if the speed limit is 70, are going to drive 70 or below? I got a couple. Most of us are what, 72, 3, 5, 80? Yeah, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. How many of you get out on the interstate and you gauge what everybody else is doing and you think to yourself, we don't say this out loud because usually we have kids in the car, but we say, we say to ourselves, well, he's going to get him before he gets me, right? And so that's your, see, see, you see what I'm saying? Culture baits you to a limit. The limit is not always what, we, we want to push it to the limit and we want to go beyond the limit most of the time. Uh, the, the interstate is a perfect place to be able to see that all you got to do is watch your own kids or think back to the time when you were a teenager I had a curfew that was midnight how many times do you think I came in at 1030 not often because you don't waste that time right I mean you, you come in at midnight or you know you just count on the grace of mom and dad with a couple of minutes that they don't slam you because you were five minutes after curfew you think well you know surely they wouldn't let that get in the way of a great relationship so you would push it you would walk in I I came in somewhere between quarter till and midnight usually because I I was allowed because that, that was what my limit was and I pushed it always I pushed it to the limit now you know that's kind of a harmless thing is nobody getting hurt it's no trouble my mother always said anything open after midnight is going to get you in trouble truth be told anything open after 10 probably would get you in trouble so Uh, but just watch your kids and you can tell that now if that hasn't convinced you let's try this if you think you're not tempted to go to the limit those of you who have dieted and you've got a certain allotment of calories do you ever in a day waste calories no I mean if you've got what is it like what what will they limit you to 1200 1300 is that close I mean the, the, the normal thing for a day is what 2000 and, and how many of you, if you've ever been on a diet, you've looked and said, well, I don't need those, you know, I don't need that 150 calories. No, I think I'll take those 150 calories and use those right before I go to bed. Um, here's the problem. In terms of the speed limit, if you go over a little bit, you may get a ticket, may cost you a little money, but there's no great huge consequence. If you miss your curfew by a couple of minutes, you may get in trouble, you might get grounded, you might lose use of the car for a little bit, but there's not a great huge consequence. You miss it with the calories, and you're going to put on a pound or two, but there's not a huge consequence. But culturally, morally, you go over the limit, you push it too far, and there's, there can be huge consequences for that, huge ramifications. Uh, we see it all around us. I, I, you know, I hear of friends of mine, I, you know, I, I, I do counseling, I mean, we all know what can happen if you push yourself and you go to the limit and beyond morally. We all know what can happen there. Because God loves you and me, because God cares about what happens to us and because he wants what's best for us and he wants his glory, he calls us back from the edge. He calls us to a place, he says, look, that's where the culture's hanging out. I don't want you hanging out there. That's not a good place. You're going to get hurt if you stay out there. It's the same thing that you said to your kids when you looked up and you saw them playing too close to the road. Look, you're going to get hurt if you play that close to the road. Come back. 
Come closer to the house. Come into the yard some. That's exactly what God is telling us. And he says, you know, you already know this. This is common sense. And, and, and quite honestly, this morning, we really don't need anybody. We don't need a preacher to preach a sermon on this, but we kind of do. Paul was speaking under the influence of the Holy Spirit when he says what we would expect a God who loves us to say. It comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Flee. That word in Greek is fugo. Fugo, run. Get away from it. Put distance between you and sexual immorality. Don't flirt with it. Don't, you know, don't think to yourself, well, I'm going to get as close as I can uh, without sinning. As soon as you see the temptation come in, as soon as you see anything willing to drag you over the line, you need to get away from it. You need to flee. You don't even need to be close to that. Because God knows, and you don't really even need a verse this morning for this, that if there's no margin for error in your morality, the consequences can be devastating. And our society pays for them all the time. You know, you, you will never regret having moral margin in your life. I don't, I don't know that you would ever run across a person who would say, the problems all started for me <clears throat> when I instituted moral margin in my life. I don't think anybody, I don't think you could find that person who could say, you know, my life went completely downhill the day I instituted moral margin. Now, the verses that, that, that come here, this is a fascinating passage out of the new testament it's fascinating because on the one hand it's very intuitive and on the other hand you wish that you had more information you wish you wish that we could talk you know that you had more to go with this look at the second part of verse 18 all other sins a man commits are outside his body but he who sins sexually sins against his own body the first three words of that are very interesting all other sins you know what that does that tells you that this thing that he's going to talk about, this, this sexual sin that he's going to talk about, he's going to set it aside. He's going to say there's something different about this and all other sins. Now you ask yourself, what in the world could that be? What is it about sexual sin that separates it from all others? Is it some kind of unforgivability? Forgiveness is not the issue. That's not the issue. Sexual sin can be forgiven. Plenty of people have been forgiven of sexual sin. Christ died for sexual sin. And I want you sitting here thinking, well, that's got to be the thing. I mean, if we sin sexually, then, then there's some, you know, and, and I've counseled with enough people that have, that have in, through tears, have said to me, Brett, I can't take it back. I can't make it go away. And, and I don't think God can forgive it. And that's when I stop them and say, look, you can't take it back. And you can't make it go away. And it's something that you're going to live with for the rest of your life. But we've got to stop for a minute and we've got to talk about this idea that Christ can't forgive that. Because for Christ to not be able to forgive your sexual sin is to say that Christ died for no reason. That he died needlessly. That, that there's some part of what Christ did on the cross that was insufficient for you. That is not the issue. That's not the issue. When he talks about all other sins, he's not talking about this one's different because you can't be forgiven. That's not what the point is. The point is this. There's a category or a consequence that accompanies sexual sin that is so different that he says, all other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. That is, there is a personal consequence 
to sexual sin. He says, you know, it's, when you do this, you, you, you not only sin against those that you're running with, but you sin against yourself. You're, you're bringing things onto yourself that, that are going to stay with you for a long, long time. The man or woman who sins sexually can carry with them a scar or a memory or an attitude that if they're not careful can distort all of their life for the rest of their life. That's part of what's going on with this verse. And he says, I'm telling you, this runs deeper than life. You think the issue is him and her for three weeks and then they break up and then that's the end of it. That's not the end of it. He says, sexually you sin against yourself. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. I've done enough counseling to see this. There is definitely a relationship between psychological health and good moral decisions. You show me someone who makes good moral decisions, and I will show you someone who, for the most part, is, is fairly psychologically healthy. But you show me someone who's, who's made some bad moral decisions, and it begins to affect other ways that they make other decisions. And I'm not saying that they're totally crazy, and I'm not saying that they've lost their minds. That's not the point I'm trying to make. What I'm trying to say is it impacts the way they view and the way they experience life. They make, when they make bad moral decisions and there's not moral margin, it begins to impact them in other areas of their life and, and everything gets out of whack. Not only that, but moral decisions impact their relationships and their relational health. It can take years to overcome consequences of sexual sin and the patterns that are associated with it. it is, sometimes it just it can be uh, devastating. And so God says what we would expect God to say if he loves us. Don't flirt with it. Don't flirt with it. You don't even understand the consequences, God would say, of some of the things that that you are tempted to do if you gave in to do those things. There needs to be a distance between um, how you live your life and where the culture sets the limits. So God says when it comes to sexual temptation, you have to flee. When, When it comes to sexual immorality, you have to flee. Now, as I say that, there is this this dynamic. And the only way I know how to describe this is it's kind of like, it's not true for everybody. Some people don't struggle with this at all. Some people, you know, this isn't an issue. They don't don't ever deal with this. But there are some people that they're kind of like a person who is fascinated by a tornado. And they see a tornado off in the distance and it's moving in their direction. And they just get fascinated by what they see. And they should be running for cover, and they should be trying to get out of the way, and they should be, you know, putting their head underneath something solid. But instead, they get mesmerized, and they just stand there and look at it. And that's the, you know, that God would say to that person, look, enough looking at the tornado, okay? It's time to go take cover. That's where we are with this whole sexual sin issue. Culture will think you're crazy if you try to have moral margin. Culture's going to call you a prude. Culture's not always going to understand. Culture's going to call you names. Culture's going to think that you're naive and that you're, you're Pollyanna and that you're, you know, you're all these things that they're going to make up and throw these words at you. Culture's going to make it look like you have no idea what you're talking about. It's going to make it look like God has no idea what he's talking You're missing so much. Oh, really? Am I missing so much? I mean, just take a look around at some of the relationships that you know of, and you'll see what I'm talking about. So what does it look like? Well, let's talk specifically to three groups of people this morning. We're going to talk to, to teenagers, 
and I'm not talking a real long time. I told Kyle, you know, we all know what this is. I'm not going to spend a long, long time hammering this thing today, not nearly as much time as I spent on the financial stuff because we all need all of this, but we know this. We know this. We're going to talk to teenagers. We're going to talk to singles. We're going to talk to married people for just a minute. Teenagers, first of all, you need to pre-decide how far you're going to go sexually. You already have limits. The question is, are they the limits that culture has set for you? Are they the limits that the kids in your class have set for you? Are they the limits that that everybody else kind of observes? Or are they going to be limits that you've said, hey, this is what God's calling me to, and he's calling me back uh, from the edge? You need to pre-decide how far you will go. And then then you need to set your limits so far back from sex that you have the chance to stop yourself. See, what, what most kids do is they make this mistake. They say, well, I'm, I'm not going to have sex. So that, that becomes the limit. And everything up to that's okay. The problem with that is if you, if you get too close and you, you, you lose your balance and you go over that line, uh, some bad things can happen to you. Most kids, see, here's what you hear too when you talk to, to kids about this. You hear them say things like, well, all the rest of my friends are doing it. Well, you know what? That is not true. <laughs> that is not true. They're, they're doing studies and they're finding out that um, it's not nearly as prevalent I mean you hear these studies all the time well kids are doing this and kids are doing that and they are but you also if you look into some of those studies what you'll find out is that there's not nearly as much of that going on as we are led to believe sometimes that kids sometimes like to talk more than is actually happening uh oh <laughs> you know you'd say you hear kids say well most of the kids in my high school are oh really most of the kids in your high school are you know, here's the problem with that. There's no story in abstinence. There's no story in we didn't do anything. There's, there's not a story in, you know, my girlfriend and I went out last night and we didn't have sex. I mean, nobody's bragging about that. Nobody's saying, hey, dude, let me tell you what we didn't do last night. That's not how it goes. And, and the kids that come in with stories that they're telling you, these outlandish stories about parties and this, that, and the other, Something may have happened. What they're telling you happened probably didn't. It, we, we get caught up in this, especially kids, they get caught up in this, man, well, you know, if I want to be like them, I've got to do what they do. Well, what they say they did and what they actually did are two different things. When I was a, a youth pastor in Seymour, Indiana, we had a guy named David Toma come and speak to us. And I had to go through 13 weeks of counseling training just to get ready for what David Toma was going to do to these kids because by the time he came in and talked to him about drugs and he left, kids thought they were dying. And so we were told, you need to get ready for this influx of kids that are going to come to you and think that the world's coming to an end. And I kid you not, for three days, I had total access to the, to the high school in Seymour. I mean, the teachers were begging me, and I was really one of, Jackson County is a huge county in Indiana. I was one of the few youth pastors in this whole county. And so for a lot of these kids, I was the only youth pastor they had, even though they didn't go to my church. They looked at me, a lot of them, as, my, as their youth pastor. And, and even the kids that didn't go to church looked at me as their youth pastor. And so Toma comes in, he does this deal. We spend a whole day with Toma, and then he leaves. And sure enough, man, kids just think they are going crazy that they're going to die because David Toma told them what they were doing was wrong and how it could hurt them and messed up. So I'm dealing with all these kids. I sat down with a group of six boys, tight. They were a solid group. They, they were such, such good friends. And we started talking about what they did when they were together. 
as we talked, their big problem was alcohol. And we started talking about how they, whenever they got together, they would start drinking and they'd have these parties and they couldn't wait for one of their parents to be gone. They'd all go to their house and they'd do this. And, and they were all scared to death that they were going to be alcoholics. They were all scared that alcohol was going to kill them. And so I talked to them as a group and then I dismissed them and one by one brought them in and sat them down and talked to them. And I said, well, you know, what's the problem? And, they, and to a man, Every one of these boys, not one of them was, was, uh, was uh, different. They, they all were exactly the same. Here's what they said to me. The only reason I do this is because they expect me to. And I said, so you're telling me that if they didn't expect you to drink, you wouldn't drink. That, that if you could choose to just go to your buddy's house and just be there and have a good time, and, and if you knew that alcohol wasn't going to be a part of things, that'd be okay with you? And, you know, they would say things like, would that be okay with me? Yeah, that'd be okay with me. All six of them were telling me the exact same thing. But when you put them together, culturally, they had to keep up with everybody else. And what they, what they were doing was saying, we got to keep up. This is what's expected, and so i got to get in line, and i got to do it. Nobody talks about what they didn't do. You have to pre-decide what your limit is. And the, de- and the decision cannot be, well, I'm just not going to have sex. Because here's the problem with that, teenagers. Here's the problem. There are a whole lot of steps between, hi, my name is and sex that there are a whole lot of steps and if your limit is sex then then you will rush through all those steps and you'll get right up on the edge and listen here's one of the things that i tell kids all the time i i, I used to i used, whenever we do the the um we do a why wait weekend campaign about every three or four years around here with with our high school kids just trying to get them to abstain trying to get them to to hold back and one of the things i'll do an exercise i'll do is i'll say how old do you think you're going to be when you get married i mean if your goal is to wait until you get married uh, before you do this how old do you think you'll be when you get married you know what i hear 25 26 23 30 and I'll say, and how old are you now? 13, 15. And, and so do you have a plan to keep that from happening? Do you have a plan to go from 14 years old to 26? That's 12 years. Do you, do you have a plan to make sure that you don't get involved and that you don't go over the edge and that you've got some kind of moral margin so that something bad doesn't happen? Or is your plan just, well, I'm not going to have sex? Because if that's your plan, that's a bad plan. You have to pre-decide what is and isn't acceptable. You have to pre-decide what your limit is, and your limit needs to be so far back from the edge that there's plenty of room for you, so that if you make, if you're out one night and you cross your boundary, your line, that you say, hey, this is my limit right here. If you go a little over that, you're gonna have some, um, you know, a bad memory. You're gonna, you know, you and Jesus are gonna have a little talk, but it's not gonna be that you fell off the cliff it's not going to be that you did something that you can't take back. It's not going to be the end of the world for you. But, but if you don't set your boundary way back here, and your boundary is way up here, and then one night you make one bad decision, you've got memories that you may never forget. You've got things that are going to happen to you that could, could possibly happen to you that could mean a different life for you. All because you did not predetermine what the limit was and say, I'm not going past this. This is my margin right here. And, and, and it's, it's way far back from the edge. Now, <laughs> what you hear, before I say that, let me say this. If you think that, that this is just preacher talk, and you think that, well, that's just Brett, and he's, they pay him to say that. 
You know, I mean, that's what he's supposed to say. He's supposed to tell me that. <clears throat> this is my challenge to you. If you think I don't know what I'm talking about, you find a person in your life, I'm talking to teenagers, you find a person in your life right now that you respect and that you admire, and you walk up to him and you ask him, is he telling me the truth? Is what Brett says, is that really the way it is? And this is probably what you're going to hear that person say. I wish I'd had somebody say to me what Brett said to you. You're going to hear somebody say, I wish that my preacher had had enough guts on a Sunday morning to stand up and, and talk to me the way Brett just talked to you. See, <laughs> the question is, and this is always the question, when I was a youth pastor, this was the number one question I had as a youth pastor. How far is too far? That's what every kid wants to know. Now, they ask that in some pretty creative ways. They don't just come right out and ask you that, but you know, they'll hem-haw around. I don't know how many times I've had this conversation privately. I don't know how many times in rock group we, we had discussions about this kind of thing. Youth group, we'd, whenever we got to this part, you know, every, all the kids wanted to know how far is too far. Well, I have you covered with that. Teenagers, I got, I got you covered. If you want to know how far is too far, this is how far. You should go as far as you want the person that you will marry to have gone with the person they were with just before they met you. That's how far you should go. You say, well, I don't want them to have gone very far with the person that they were with just before they met me. Ding, 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 ding. He can be taught. Exactly. You see, because when you sin, you, you sin against other people, and we, we're, one of the things we tell our, our high school kids whenever we have this talk with them is, look, somewhere out there, God's got somebody all lined up for you. And, and your virginity and your morality is something that you, we tell them all the time, something you're going to give as a gift to your future mate. And, and you, don't you want the person that's gonna end up marrying you to have looked at what they have as a gift that they're going to give you one day, that that shouldn't be shared with just everybody? You'll only be a teenager for a few years. But the decisions that you make as a teenager can stay with you for the rest of your life. Be smart. Set your limits now and set them far from the edge. Those of you who are single, this is what I would say, because I've, I've heard this conversation before, and it goes something like this. Well, you know, I've been married once, now I'm not married anymore, and so do I have to, you know, these kind of things you're saying to kids, do these kind of things apply to me? The answer is yes. I would answer that question with a question. Has sex outside of marriage ever done anything but complicate your life? That, you know, that when you step outside of what God has prescribed marriage to, for and, and what he's prescribed sex for inside of marriage. When, that when, if you've ever experienced it outside of marriage, would you say that it's ever done anything but complicate your life? I mean, very seldom do you, I don't, I'm, you know, I don't, what you hear people say and what actually is, I mean, I get to sit and listen to people from time to time. I get to, I get to hear them uh, wail sometimes about the decisions that have been made. See, you don't need a pastor to tell you this. You don't need a verse for this. You already know this. I mean, we're adults in the room. We already know that when you step outside of what God has prescribed and you do something that God said, hey, here's the parameters for it, and you're going to come over here and you're going to experience it out here, you know that that's going to complicate your life. You want to you push that a little bit and experience that or illustrate that a little bit? Let's do this. Let's, let's say that you've stepped outside of marriage. You've had a relationship like that. It's become a sexual relationship. Then that ends. 
You're not with that person anymore. Now you're with someone else. Let's say you're married and you walk up in the grocery store and you meet this person. Is that a conversation you really want to have? Or is that conversation strained? Or is that conversation complicated a little bit? Of course it is. Because, see, here's the thing. I've said this many, many times. This is, this is free. This doesn't cost you anything this morning. If it makes sense, if it's common sense and it makes sense, you will find it backed up by Scripture. It's just that simple. So yes, single people need sexual standards. And here's the kicker. The, the more sexually active you have been, the, the more strict those standards need to be, the higher they need to be. God is going to lead you to moral margin. And moral margin sometimes is going to require some extreme measures. You see, I, I bet that there are people in the room this morning that are saying, you know, I wish I'd heard this five years ago. I wish I'd been to a church 10 years ago where the preacher had this conversation with me and told me some of this stuff and talked to me from a, a, a practical, common sense standpoint. And look, I'm not yelling at anybody this morning. Look, this is, a, this is a, an area of our life that is prevalent uh, for men, men deal with this on, on levels that women do not understand. And men, we don't understand women as it relates to this topic sometimes either. We experience this differently, and there are pressures on all of us, and there, there are things going on, and the things that we see, and the things that we hear, and what's going on at work, and, and you know, what we experience in, in our, you know, our leisure time, it's all over the place. So, so you've, you've got to set a limit, and it needs to be far back from what culture prescribes for you. It needs to be far back, and you need to have some cushion so that if you make a small mistake, that's exactly what it is. It's a small mistake. It's, you haven't gone over the edge. You haven't pushed yourself to a place where you, you, look, you, know, you, you convince yourself. Because what happens is these people sometimes will go over the edge, and then they start to try and relate to God, and they think that God doesn't love them anymore. Well, that's not true. But I, I can't tell you how many times in a counseling situation I've talked to someone and they, they're convinced that God can't love them because of the decisions that they've made. Finally, I want to talk to married people. And here's the question that you should be asking. How far, married people, how far would I want my spouse to go, to what extremes would I want them to go to protect him or her from a necessary sexual temptation? You know, what, what kind of things would I want my spouse to do to protect themselves and to protect me from the temptations that they're going to experience how extreme would you want your children to be how far do you want them to go to protect themselves and set themselves back from the edge you'd want that to be a, a really really careful judgment right you'd, you'd want that to be way far off the edge the answer is the same for you and me when you think about what is at stake um, really there aren't any extremes that are too extreme when you're talking about protecting your marriage and I mean we all know somebody don't we we all know probably several somebodies who who didn't do this and I'm going to give you just a couple you say well how does this how does this work practically I mean what kind of things can I do uh, what what areas do I need to guard and what what kind of things do I need to look out for I'm just going to give you uh, three or four different things that I could, we could go on and on. I mean, there, there could be a whole long list, but in, in, in the interest of time, I'm not going to do that. But I'm going to give you just a couple of practical places that you need to be careful. Number one, be careful online. There is an anonymity that comes with being online that can get you in trouble. You will say things online that you wouldn't say personally. 
you will you will become a different person sometimes online than you would if you were having a, a regular normal conversation face to face with somebody um, there's you know plenty of people maybe some even in this room that would stand up and say you need to listen to this because this is where we got hurt or this is where I got hurt with someone that I knew they got involved online and things got out of control number two don't have lunch or dinners alone with members of the opposite sex it's one of the things that we we try not to do around here we don't do around here I mean we we go we'll go in groups but we don't do that um, alone with members of the opposite sex you say, well, Brett, you don't understand my job. It's not feasible for me to be able to do that. It's impossible for me. Really? Really? I, w- I would ask you this question. How big is your God? Is your God big enough to provide for you and take care of you as you honor him with moral margin in your life? So, so if you say, well, Brett, you don't understand because there are just certain circumstances that I have at work that I've got to be alone with females over dinner. And really? So if you said, I'm sorry, I don't have dinners with females alone at work. They're going to fire you? Your boss would say, you know, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And if that did happen, that you don't trust God enough to provide something better for you, that you think that God's not going to take care of a person who honors him in this area of his life or her life. God can handle you taking steps to protect yourself and your mate and your marriage and your kids. It's not always practical. It's not always the industry standard. But the industry standard sometimes can get you in trouble. And if you're a believer, all you got to do is just look at the culture and you can see what the industry standard has done to our society. We need to have margin. You need to take a step back. You need to put some cushion between you and what the culture says is acceptable because sometimes the culture will lure you in and then the minute you cross the line, you just lost your job. Men, let your wife participate in who gets chosen as, his, as your assistant. If, you, if you're going to have an assistant or if you're going to hire a secretary, your wife should be allowed to participate in that discussion with you and should be allowed to participate in who uh, is going to work side by side with you. I could go on. There's tons of these that we could talk about. I'm just going to use one more, and it's pornography. Pornography and clubs are not neutral forms of entertainment. Okay, They're not. They are things that will lead you down a path. And there are things that will cause trouble in your life. They'll cause trouble in your marriage. Our culture is full of it. Our culture is pervasive, and it, it, it baits us, and it draws us in. And again, a lot of times, guys, we're like watching the tornado. It's like, man, that is really, that is just, I can't take my eyes off that. And the closer it gets, and we don't realize that we're in trouble, and we should be running, and we're not running. Pornography and clubs are not neutral forms of entertainment. God says, I want you to have margin. Do you realize? And it's not just a man issue. The whole pornography thing is not a man issue anymore. One of the fastest growing demographics for that is women. God says, I want you to have margin. I want you to stay a safe distance away from the edge. Don't let your culture push you to a limit that you are going to regret. And if you're willing to do it, if you're willing to do it my way, God says, you will never regret having moral margin in your life. We're all adults. We, we all know where this whole subject can lead us. We all know what moral margin and the lack thereof can do to us, to our marriages, to our relationships. The temptations are great enough without us adding to them by just being curious. Fugo, flee, 
Run. Don't stare at the tornado. Run for cover. Get away from it. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Now let me just close by saying this. As I've talked about all this, the odds are really good. In fact, I we have to talk about odds we can talk about the reality of it the reality is that we have been stung those of us in this room by certain parts of what i've talked about this morning that at some point maybe you did cross a line and at some when you, when i was talking about you know the way this stays with you for the rest of your life and and you've got memories and you've got things that go along with these kind of decisions and you say oh man he's how did he know i don't know what's happened in your world i don't know what's in your closet you don't know what's in my closet. we don't know but here's what i do know I do know that no matter what has happened in your world, hear me very clearly, no matter what has happened in your world, Christ died for it. That no matter how, what, how bad the decision was that you made and what kind of regret you carry because of something that you did or, or because of something that you got caught up in, I don't care what it is, Christ died for it. My favorite passage of scripture, one of them in, in all the scriptures, Galatians 2.21. We all know 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. We all know that one. What comes right after that is this. I do not nullify the grace of God because if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for no reason. Christ did not die for no reason. Christ died because we need a savior. Christ died because there are times we don't recognize that we need margin and we fall over the edge. And the good news, when you come to Christ, when you fall over the edge, you are not done. And so as I've talked today and you've thought, well, you know, he's talking about this thing and this is the place, you know, I was doing good with the financial thing, I got all kinds of financial margin. Time, I got all kinds of time. But now he's talking about this moral thing and I can't do that very well. Here's what I'm telling you. I'm telling you Christ died for you. And he died for that. And he can take that sin as far as the east is from the west. It's this thing called grace. It is beautiful. I love it. It's what we're about around here. That when you fall over the edge, it's not the end. Christ picks you up. He calls you redeemed, and he calls you saved, and he calls you righteous. And he calls you his, and he calls you forgiven. We need more margin in our life. It is probably the one area where we, we as a culture, we're, we're having trouble. It's one of the areas where, as a church, we're having trouble. It's because it, it's, you know, I'm <laughs> be careful. Maybe I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to risk it. <clears throat> My youth pastor, when I was growing up, when he was when he talked to us about this, he used to say, "If God created anything better, He kept it for Himself." I've always liked that because it's pretty true. I mean, it's is a great, wonderful thing. This whole area, in the, uh, this whole. Uh, idea called sex it's a wonderful thing but when it is misused and and when you don't have margin with it it'll bite you in the tail Christ died for those kind of things we cling to it we claim it we're going to pray over you just now uh, for whatever you're dealing with in whatever area of life because this is something we all need let's pray together Father sex is a wonderful thing and you made it and you gave it to us as a gift and and thank you because it's it's a beautiful thing but lord as with any gift that you've given us we can take it and we can pervert it we we can run with it we can go places that we shouldn't we can get tempted with things that we uh, sometimes aren't strong enough to uh, uh, withstand 
And Father, it's, it's not possible, it's probable. It's pretty much a guarantee that this morning every one of us has some area of our life where this becomes an issue and where we have to watch what we do and we, or we would say, you know, if I'm honest, I've been tempted there or, or this has gone on and it shouldn't have gone on. Lord, it's, it's, it's just, it's so pervasive in our society and in our culture. And, and then we come and we hear a sermon like this and we, we start to feel really guilty and we should feel guilty for sin. That's where we should go. But Father, then we look at the cross and we know that that's where guilt goes to die. That guilt got nailed to the cross with Jesus and what comes off that cross to me is salvation and grace and mercy compassion forgiveness beauty cleanliness purity holiness Father am I, am I holy in and of myself? No am I righteous in and of myself? No is there anything beautiful about me by myself? No but when you come on me when I say yes to Jesus I am a beautiful thing in your sight I am your child, I am forgiven, I am free, I am pure, and I am righteous. Father, we cling to that this morning. Help us as we walk in this world, because this world will lure us, it will bait us into things. Help us, Lord, to know the truth. Help us to set our margins way back from the edge so that we live a life that is psychologically and relationally sound. And at the end of the day, we can look at our kids and we can look at our wife or we can look at our husband and we can say, it's all good. Lord, we know you love us. You died for us. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for visiting. We hope you've been encouraged. Please feel free to visit us online at clcchurch.com.